Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacker Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Threepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Welcome once again to your favorite Portland Trail Blazers podcast, Dave and Marlowe, part of Blazers Edge. We have all kinds of wonderful stuff, of course, on site for you. I am Dave Deckard. Marlowe Ferguson is here with us. And, you know, there could be happier days to talk about the Blazers, Marlowe. They just got pasted by the Philadelphia 76ers, 105-95 loss, but they only scored 34 points in the first half, which is like one quarter for Damian Lillard on a normal night. So, I mean, what's going on here? Let's start with that game in particular and then broaden out to the good and the bad news. I mean, I was really excited. Uh, I thought the writing was on the wall for it to be a signature win. Uh, Philadelphia, they came into this game on a a four-game road stand fourth game in six nights and you'd be surprised which team came out playing flat definitely wasn't philadelphia so uh, it's just it's, it's a tough break here uh, i thought there were some positives that you can maybe look at not say a little in the, in the second half run they went on but it's just a, a, a same story every day you know it's just tough to tough to win this is a, a, a signature game they could have had and they just came up short yeah, let's get back to Nasir Little soon because I, I don't want to skip over what his return has meant. But let's talk about that. I mean, do you think it's a motivation thing? Because some people are starting to claim now that, yeah, well, we should start looking at the coach and he doesn't have his players ready and it's just that they can play and they're not playing. How how much validity do you think that has as far as this really being primarily a motivational issue? I think Chelsea definitely plays a role in it. Um, and I was a little bit concerned about his comments after the game where he said that, you know, the, the defense played well enough to win. Um, and I think that maybe you can understand it, you know, given that they gave up 105, but you got to remember they were already up 20, 26 points. So they didn't really need to continue to keep their foot on the gas. So it's something that you're definitely seeing. They start games off slow. Um, and they, they, I think he, he plays the starters a little bit too much. I'm not sure if he has a choice in that matter, but uh, there's definitely some things that he can definitely do better. I think that's definitely one of them, just getting guys out to, to better starts and eliminating droughts and whatnot. So you definitely see it. So, yeah, I mean, the defense played well enough to win, but even with their feet off the gas, Philly still shot 50% from the field. I mean, a little bit over. Uh, now, they were only 30% or 31% from the three-point arc, but they were like two shots away from a normal percentage. That's... I mean, that is a little bit concerning. And I'll tell you one of the trigger moments that I had. It was very early on when Yusuf Nurkic already had one foul and then a Philly player, I forget who it is now, was drifting out of bounds and Nurkic gave him a little chuck with his arm as he was drifting out of bounds. It wasn't much, but it looked like a foul. And so the ref called it and all of a sudden within the first couple minutes of the game, Nurkic had two fouls and had to sit. 
And you're going, oh, gosh, it's going to be one of those nights, is it? And you also had the absolutely unfortunate confluence of drawing a team with Joel Embiid on the other side. So here comes Drew Eubanks. I mean, poor Drew. I love Drew's play. I mean, I'm glad the Blazers have Drew. But you don't have to look very far at Drew Eubanks lining up against Joel Embiid to say this is not good for the Blazers. Now, all of a sudden, Joel looks like a monster every time he touches the ball. The Blazers have to devote extra men to stopping that. Now you've left James Harden on one-on-one defense, and they are done. And I think it's not that Nurkic was that great. He only played 24 minutes, but you cannot get yourself out of the game against one of the NBA's best centers when you're literally the only center that your team has. I agree with that. And it's, it'd be, it's even worse that you see it on most nights, too. Like Every single night, you're almost seeing it. Uh, I look back at that Magic game from like two weeks ago, or two days ago. They had 50 points at 8.10 p.m., and they had 50 points at 8.37 p.m. So that's like 27 minutes. <laughs> and it's just like, that's the biggest thing for me is the droughts and whatnot. But uh, there are definitely some things that he can improve, improve upon. Uh, and it's, I'm not sure. I, I try to look at it the same way I would look at a, a second-year player. You know, a second-year coach, he's still learning different things, and he's improved in some areas. But it's, it's tough. You know what I'm saying? There's, I look at the schedule now, and there's nobody we can't lose to. There's nobody that they can't, uh, can't beat. So yeah, that, I think that's a fair assessment uh, that – I was going to write about this, that it's about the Blazers' bell curve, right? And when you looked at their hot start and the way they were playing, you go, well, some of these games should be winnable now. So the bell curve of their victories kind of moves up the scale, where if they're really extreme, they can win almost all their games. But if they're really not, you know, if they're extreme on the other end, rather, you know, they'll lose half of them or more. But the, the fat part of the bell curve is over winning. Now it seems to me the fat part of the bell curve is drifting toward exactly the middle. I think they're on an extreme low. I think they're going to get better, by the way. This is going to clear up. You're going to be fooled by this team soon. But uh, the fat part of the bell curve is right over 500 right now, which seems pretty much where they're going to end up at the end of the season. And when the bell curve moves versus some kind of weird thing happening, it feels like this is starts to be more of a roster construction and coaching uh, issue rather than just a player issue. I'm glad you feel inspired by it because I'm not sure if, if I do. Um, I feel like every season is kind of like a bingo board now. You know, phase one, you're going to go through that, that holy cow, we're contenders phase. Phase two is going to be, oh, we might need to tank. Phase three is, you know, Damian Lillard scoring 40 or 50 and, and, and you still lose a game. And so now it's looking like uh, it's going to be kind of similar where you, you get hot at the end of the year, maybe get six spots. Uh, competitive first round out, and obviously, you know, you, you you hope to be proven wrong on that, but we can only base it on what we've what we've you know we've been able to assess them with. And I think another thing that's kind of concerning is that the offense and the defense are seldom you know working together uh, at the same time. You know, since December nineteenth, they've ranked sixth in defensive rating and, and fifth worst on offense. So you can never really get those two things working together, and it's 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 tough to see. You get that potentially, you can't get there. Yeah, I mean, we'll talk about the offense in a second, too. Let's not forget that. But what you're suggesting is the Blazers are back on their crap, basically, right? They're back on their drug, <laughs> right? Uh, basically, yeah. Okay, yeah. Well, I mean, that's a definite possibility, too. But the good thing for Blazers fans is that that drug usually includes a playoff performance, right? And sometimes second round. But if here's where we are. I think if you were looking for change this season, radical progress, they're certainly not showing it, and it doesn't look like they're going to show it. Uh, How much of a transitional year is this? I've heard that argument, too, and I've made it myself, and I'll continue to make it, but I'm curious as to your thoughts. Should we expect radical change this year? Should we expect them to be dramatically better, or does this cake need longer to bake? I think that even an incremental improvement would have been a little bit better. You know what I'm saying? I'm not saying you got to go out and win a championship, but the roster intact as it is right now, you got talent across the board. I think there was always going to be a ceiling on, on what you had based on just the, the size disadvantages that you give up. And you see it when you play, when they play playoff teams, like you look at Denver, like the game that, that uh, game they played earlier this week. How many times did you see Damian Lillard get stuck on, 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 on Jokic or Aaron Gordon? So it's just tough. And you know that, you know, the best teams are going to be able to pick that out. So I think that, you know, I'm saying expecting a championship was always going to be tough, but they should be a lot better off than they are. I mean, they should start off games a lot better than they have. They got veterans on this team. They're a young team, but they've got veterans too. So it's, it's inexcusable if you ask me. 
Yeah. Well, and I think we're seeing that they're vulnerable to teams with centers, right? Now, Philly, they're not going to see unless they make the NBA Finals. But Denver has one. The Lakers technically have one, although Anthony Davis hasn't really. They He's only killed Portland in stretches. But does it scare you now that uh, there are a couple teams in the West who might be nearly unconquerable just because they have a good matchup at one position? I think I'm past scared. Uh, this is something that I've kind of I've noticed year after year. Like the Denver game, you, you basically see that every time they play, the matchup hunting, those finding guys, and, and it's just it puts the guards in such a bind. Like Lillard and Simons aren't good defenders. They aren't great defenders, but there's only so much they can do when you got Nurkers rolling down the lane and you've got to pick if you're going to tag him or if you're going to go try to switch again. And it's tough, but I think you're going to definitely see that matchup regardless of who you play. Like teams will, teams are running out with the forward. Um, and the Blazers aren't going to be able to escape it. You know what I'm saying? You, you can you can try to hide, but you can't hide. Well, what's happening is the wave is crashing in from the other side, right? You know, it's like the Blazers built up a sand wall against the ocean at the guard position, and they did it using their forwards and, in some ways, Nurkic, who, by the way, is a pretty good help defender when you give him a chance. If you, if he doesn't have to cover too much space, he actually is really good at swinging over to help against penetration, Okay. So uh, you get this weird thing where the Blazers allow a lot of rim attempts, but they're pretty good at defending them. The problem being, of course, that rim attempts are hard. Pretty good at defending rim attempts is relative. They're still pretty successful. But anyway, let's give Nurkic some credit there. But you, you have the setup where everything's meant to, dis, to, to uh, help the guards to disguise their lack of defense. Okay, so the Blazers are all facing that way. Now, all of a sudden, you have the same problem from the other side at center. And the guards have to now turn around and help the center. And the center is overwhelmed. Uh-oh. You know, you, you, you're not set up for that. That's not going to work real well. And second of all, if it, even if it does, if you then have a guard who can come from the first direction, like Arden or like Jamal Murray in Denver, right? Now, all of a sudden, you're running back and forth, and you have no hope of stopping either. It reminds me of those, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen the, the flex seal commercials where the guy put a piece of tape over like a, a hole with water coming out and the water comes out a different hole. It's like you just, it, it's hard to deal with every one of those at the same time. So I think that there are certain teams that hope to avoid, but eventually they're going to they're gonna see you and it's going to be tough. Yeah, so I, we're already at the stage after 40, what, five games of, we've gone from, okay, the Blazers might succeed in the playoffs to the Blazers might succeed if they get the right matchup in the playoffs, right? Okay, so by your argument, I think the next step is I hope the Blazers succeed in the playoffs and then crossing your fingers as they enter the first round. So can anything be done to fix this? What what, what do the Blazers need here? I think the, the my, my biggest issue is turnovers. I think that's definitely something that most Blazers fans will say the same thing. Over the last 15 games, they ranked number one in first quarter turnovers. And it's just, it's you just put yourself in a bind every single time. And I kind of liked what uh, Ephraim Simon said a couple of days ago in terms of simplifying the playbook. Um, they're trying to do a little bit too much right now. And they're, they're, it's, it's just, it's been a weird situation for them. So I think if you simplify that, get rid of some of the, the randomness, as he called it, and uh, just get back to getting into the basic sets and, and getting the, the right, right players in the right positions, I think maybe you can maybe benefit from that. But it's just tough when you're playing from behind every single game and you got to press, you got to force it. And I'm not sure what they do there, though. It's interesting because this might be a generational thing, perhaps, right? I mean, because Chauncey comes from the generation where a lot of plays were run inside the arc and a lot of them were preset, right? Whereas you have this pace and space generation that's used to spreading the floor and then reading. And the three-point shot is one of your main weapons, one of your first options to do that, right? Now, I'm not saying that Chauncey is three-point averse. Obviously, the Blazers have got more three-point intents as they've gone along. But Simons may have a point that, okay, we're, we're speaking a different language here. And it's not that we can't speak it. In fact, we'll probably get there. But... Right now, we are really struggling, and we're not speaking our native tongue, so to speak. And there's been some success at the moments when Billups has said, you know what, just go play. Just go do you. So would you advocate with Simon's kind of a return to that approach? I think that definitely works out for the best. These guys just going out there and trusting what they do. Um, I, can, I can sort of see where there would be some confusion. You know, the Blazers run a lot of that fist offense, dribble handoffs. You're throwing the spots where you think a player is going to be, and sometimes they're not there. So it's a chemistry thing, and they've got guys in and out of the lineup, so it, it can be tough. 
So I think they're just getting guys back into their strengths, letting guys play more freely. I'm not sure how much of a role he plays in that, but I think you can sort of see um, guys are pressing it, forcing it a little bit. Some guys aren't trusting themselves, like like Josh Hart, for example. Doesn't really shoot as much as I think that he maybe should. So um, just going out and playing your game, I think they, they, the way they played in November, it felt like they were just playing their game. They weren't overthinking anything. Just going out there and just out hustling everybody. So you know you want to see something get back to that, um, and, and see what you can do there. Josh Hart is interesting because obviously he's been asked to do certain things, which includes taking a back seat on some of his abilities. But it feels like he's done it with SpongeBob-like dedication. Like literally, okay, no, I'm I'm never going to shoot or whatever. And when he does shoot, he's obviously hesitating. You hate that, but like he's just he's just not getting he's just not getting enough touches. And I don't know if it's like sacrifice for the team or if it's irony. Okay, you don't want me to shoot. I'm not going to shoot. It's not my role. But he's getting seven point one field goal attempts per game which is obviously the lowest by far among the starters and just barely above justice winslow and shaden sharp now you could argue he's the fifth starter so that's okay but justice winslow is not exactly an offensive powerhouse and it feels to me instinctively like hart should be getting at least as many shots as yusuf nurkic now part of that of course is that the starting guards are vacuuming up more and more as we go along but still i mean should should he be more? I mean, have the Blazers nerfed him too much? I think he definitely should do more. I don't think that what he did last year when he averaged, you know, a shit under 20 points a game, I don't think that was a coincidence. I think he's capable of doing that. Um, and I think maybe if you maybe tinker with the lineups, I don't know if you noticed when, when uh, Lillard's on the bench and Simons is the lead guy, they just want ISO ball and let him go to work. I think you can maybe scheme in some situations where you get hard his own, his own role with that second unit and those guys just play with a lot of energy. If you put them out there with, with Jabari Walker and, and Sharp and those guys, I think they can hang with the hang with the opposition. So I would like to see him get upwards of maybe nine or ten shots, something like that. And I think that fixing the turnover issue is a, is a key component in that because if you cut down those turnovers, you just opened up way more shot attempts. So that could be the key in doing so. But I think that uh, tinkering the lineups to get guys situations where they can uh, hybrid between being hero ball and, and playing team ball, I think you definitely can look into that a little bit. Yeah, and it's interesting to your point. Let's go back there for a second. But people, I mentioned people not able or not having experience of of running complex plays. How many players have not really run any plays? I mean, obviously you have the rookie, Shaden Sharp and Jabari Walker, both of whom are getting minutes. But one can argue that Anthony Simons hasn't really been in that position much right? I mean, he's played for four or five years now, but not in this kind of role, as we keep saying. And certainly plays would not have been designed with him as a key component other than you're going to score this. Winslow probably has. Keon Johnson, not so much. Nasir Little, not so much. Drew Banks, yeah. But you're talking about, you know, a third of the roster, maybe encroaching on half, who's just not used to doing this. You can start to see where, okay, you know, this is this is going to take a while to learn. Yeah, I think it gets back to that point of, of how the Blazers have drafted over the last couple of years. They've gone for the high-profile, high-potential, uh, protege-type players with the higher ceilings and whatnot. So they don't have as much experience running set offenses and uh, different schemes and things like that. So I think it goes back to that. Uh, but I also think that, you know what I'm saying, you, you, eventually those guys have to work their way into it. So, you know, you hopefully you would want to see some, some improvements with that in mid-January. We just haven't seen that yet in terms of Guys know where to throw the ball, turnovers and things like that. So it's it's definitely concerning, I think, at the, at the end of the day. Right. It's to the point where, okay, we've got to see it get better. But do you scrap the experiment knowing that that's your growth potential? It's almost like an investment, right? Stock market. Like, okay, this is trend, this is flatlining or trending down. Our money should be bringing back more in interest. But if we sell this now and and just put it in a bank, we're going to get 2%. And that's not going to do anything. So do you leave it in there or do you pull it out? Nah, you know, that's, that's, there's no easy answers to that other than you hope, you hope your stock would do better. Yeah. I think you just got to hope at some point. I do like that They're starting to run more sets for like, for like shark, for example, and a nice little backup for alley-oop jam and, and, and things like that. Just putting guys in positions where they can, they can score more. I'm not sure where you stand on the whole inside out thing with, with, going to Nurkic and, and playing back out to the perimeter, how that goes. But 
I'm not sure. I think that you just try to get guys in situations like in the Denver game, for example, again, or a couple of different games this week. Blazers really got going when they got Damon, those high, high drag screens, high pick and rolls and whatnot, getting them against a big. So just smarter, smarter play decisions and whatnot. I think that's going to be the key to getting this team back on, back on track. Yeah, not bad. Let's talk about individual contributions in a second. But I had a thought, and I've had it for a couple of weeks. Let me run it by you. And I don't, I don't know that this is sane. I don't know that this is possible. Would you consider bringing, for instance, uh, Simons and Hart, or Simons or Hart, off the bench and staggering them? Understanding that that's a tough move, but those are probably two of the starters who could create something more than they are right now in the starting unit. Uh, you know, you put in a younger Shaden Sharp or Nasir Little or both. I mean, both is probably insane. I get it, but I'm pushing the envelope. Uh, stagger some of those starters so that they have more of a role and the bench has more continuity. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. I think in theory, it, it definitely it's definitely something that makes sense. Uh, but just from the, the aspect of the locker room and, and, and guys, players' morales and whatnot, I think it's tough to kind of buy into that. Like, if you're telling Anthony Simons that he averages almost 25 a night, he's got to come out the bench now. I think that'd be a, a tough sell, especially since how, especially given how much they've invested in him. Like, you don't want 80 million eighty million dollar players coming out the bench. So it'd be kind of tough to kind of wrap my head around a little bit. But uh, I think that there's a way that you can do that without having – him come off the bench. Like if you if you just get better at staggering those minutes, kind of like how they did with, with Damian CJ. You know what I'm saying? They they had stretches where they played together and other stretches where they didn't. So I like the idea of it, but I'm just not sure how that would pass, you know, when you're telling players in in the, in the office, you know, you gotta come off the bench now. So that that'd be tough. Yeah. Well and as I just illustrated, they probably don't have suitable replacements right now, especially with Justice Winslow injured. But um it might also help the starting unit defense. I don't know. Uh, let's talk about the offense a little bit. And you have to start over the last couple of weeks with Damian Lillard. I mean, he has been the offense. He's been the only thing that's bailed the team out if they've even been bailed out. Uh, but he has had an amazing streak of games. He only caught, listen to this, only 25 against Philadelphia. And that was one of his few poor shooting performances. Uh, but he had 44 versus the Nuggets, 40 and 36 versus Dallas, 50 versus Cleveland, 30 versus Orlando, 34 versus the Toronto Raptors. And that has been his last seven games, and only one of them has been below 30 points, and that one was a 25. How are, I mean, what's what's going on here? Just like clockwork. I feel like every year he does this, where he has a stretch where he just goes bananas, and I think you can make a case that he's the best offensive player in the league, you know, for, for a stretch. Um, I just hate when it happens when he doesn't win the game, though. You know what I'm saying? Because then it's like the, the narrative is, oh, it, it was empty stats. And uh, it's, it's he's he's played well enough to win, I think, every game this week. I've been in maybe the Philly game. But, you know, for him to play that many minutes and for the Blazers to not come out on top, I think it's always concerning. But just the way he's played, I think it's definitely a different team when he comes out in the first quarter and he's more aggressive. Um, and you, you can see that in, in, in basically every game this week. So it's, it's been amazing to see. So... Part of what amazes me about it is that he has done it efficiently. I mean, his shooting percentages. Now, his three-point shot has not been steady, but his shooting from the field has been at or near 50% through most of this, which is just phenomenal. O only the Philly game, really, was he taking uh, a lot of shots and missing them and still producing points. Uh, a, a neat but scary thing for the Blazers the team is eight and four when Dame shoots 50% or better. Okay. So that's like fantastic. And he's done it 12 times. That's amazing. That's the cool thing. 
the scary thing is that if you subtract that away from their record, they're only 13 and 20 when he doesn't. So they're, they're a considerable losing team when he is not shooting 50%. And it's awful hard for a guard of Damien's production and defensive, you know, the defense he draws from the opponent to keep shooting 50%. And that's how you win. Yeah, there's just so much pressure on him every night. And I, I think back to how great the Blazers were as a team, you know, in the four quarters and whatnot. It's hard to do that when you got guys playing 40 minutes. If you look at Dan's stats, he's a guy that's, that's, I think he's played the six most minutes over the last month or so. And that's just, you know, you, you don't really want to see that. The Blazers have three different guys in the top 15 in that category, and it, it's hard to have those legs. So Dan's got to be perfect quarter for quarter. Um, and it's, it's, it's a tough way to win. I don't think it's, it's, I always say it's not sustainable. I don't think it's sustainable either. And it's, I don't know, it's just hard to watch sometimes. Yeah, I'm looking here at his top dozen games minute-wise, and only two of them are not in the last month. So 10 out of his 12 top minutes played games have happened within the last 30 days. So the team is relying more and more on him. I mean, granted, how do you take him out when he's scoring like that? But still, yeah. It's very concerning. And you look at I, I, Jeremy Grant and Josh Hart, those guys aren't too far away. Anthony Simon's the same thing. And you see it in the Blazers' clutch stats, too. In the four quarters, they just don't seem to have the legs they need. And if I recall, they're 8-14 and 14 in clutch games now. After starting out the year like 6-0, and oh, so uh, it, it's tough. I'm saying, I don't know where you get, I don't know where you get extra rejuvenation from in, in mid-January, but hopefully this all-star break, hopefully they can go into it with a little momentum and, and get some rest and get back to it, but that's, some of these stats are kind of concerning in terms of the long-term outlook for this thing right now. Oh, yeah. Okay, so I can do you one better. Uh, 15 times Lillard has played 37 minutes or more this season, and I am only seeing three that happened before a month ago. So it's 37-plus minute games. Even if you round up now, oh boy, that's, yeah, you get to 16. So, you know, there, there are like three out of 15 or 16 that uh, end up, or ended up before early January, uh, or sorry, uh, mid-December. That's, that's a lot. I mean, there, he's, he's absorbed a ton of, of minutes lately. Yeah. And it's not going to get easier. You know, these were the games here that, that, sort of gave you a taste of what playoff basketball would look like in Philly and, and Denver and whatnot. And I think you see it in a lot of these games recently where the, the legs just come up short. Like in that, in that Magic game, it felt like every shot they shot was like at shorter the rim. And those nights where they shoot 6 of 35 or 6 of 29 from three-point range, I think that kind of explains it. You know, this team just, it's hard to have that energy every night when you play that much, so. Yeah, and if, if you look at their record since then, they've had one, two, three, four, five wins in that stretch. So Dame is playing way more minutes, and the team is getting far fewer wins. That is, uh, that's a lot. That's a lot to swallow. So uh, let's let's get back to Nasir Little. Uh, he is back. How's he looked to you? Oh, fantastic! You know the shot's still there. The energy's always there when it comes to him. So I was going to say earlier, I think he should be the first player out the bench, regardless of who who's the, who the starters are, just because of the energy that he brings. And we're seeing the Blazers have the tendency to start off games slow. You need a guy that's gonna gonna bring you a spark. And sometimes I think we look at six men as guys that come in and average ten to fifteen points. If he's coming in there making electrifying plays and, and getting the crowd into it, that might be enough. So I, I'm a I'm a I'm a big advocate in what he's done uh, since he's come back, and it, it's good to see that he's been able to get into a rhythm this quickly. Yeah, Nasir Little is always a big play defender, right? I don't mean he stops big plays. I mean, he's the one who will go for broke, the home run swing on defense as opposed to offense. And you love that about him. He's always charging. He's always moving. Uh, we talked about him earlier in the season before he got hurt, and we also talked about that it's not insignificant that he was injured for, you know, 20 games. So that's a bright hope. I, I, I think that he's eventually capable of starting. I mean, I think that he will be a starter somewhere in this league at this time, uh, at some point. He is only 22 years old. He is younger even than Anthony Simons. So I think there's a lot of potential for the Blazers to be excited with about, now, do I think he's going to be a superstar? Probably not. But can he hold down that position and give you that extra foundation to build on with your flashier stars? I think so. 
Yeah, he's a certified impact player. I think that you can never have too many of those kind of guys on this team here. Um, and and wherever he fits in, they have to put a guy like Hart on the bench. It's going to make the second unit better. So uh, I don't really see any negatives that come with, with putting a guy like him in there. And I think that the in a perfect world, it's something that helps get the Blazers' defense going. Because we've talked a little bit about how they've improved, but now that you've got guys like him and, and Gary Payton II coming back, you know, you, you hope you're hoping that you know, what I'm saying that energy is, is infectious across the roster, and, and everybody gets better at it. So uh, that'll be something that I'll watch going forward, just seeing how they they manage to mesh those guys together and, and, and the energy, how, just how the energy. Because this many games at home, that home court advantage in Motor Center is, is impressive. So you just want to see guys that can take advantage of that and get the crowd into it and see what you can do, get the ball rolling. So let's talk about Gary Payton. He has actually played in five out of the last six games. And he's had one appearance over 20 minutes. Uh, otherwise, he's in the 15 range mostly. Uh, he's had some offensive ups and downs uh, and some games. I mean, he basically, he's barely shot the ball. Okay. Uh, one game he w- against Dallas, the first one, he was four out of five, scored 10 points. Other than that, he's not taken more than two shots. But he does make a difference on defense, don't you think? Absolutely. He had a sequence in that Cleveland game where he was picking up Darius Garland like full court, and they were trying to run a pick and roll and switching them on to Kevin Love, and he showed that he could defend in the post too. So you're talking about a guy that's multifaceted. And I think that the offensive things are sort of to be expected. He was never really a great offensive talent, but just the energy and the, and the fire he's going to bring each night, it's going to make his money in that way. So um, I think going forward, you definitely keep him in the lineup, keep him in a rotation, and maybe encourage him to take that three-point shot. Because he shot the three-point shot pretty well over the last couple of weeks so just just little things like that i think going to go a long way yeah i mean you can tell the difference when he takes the floor and i don't just mean in the team i mean they're they still need to pick it up right but when you watch a good defender you can you can tell it and gary payton is a good defender and it's night and day when you compare him to some of his backcourt teammates and that's it's really weird because it's been a while since we've seen really good defense in the backcourt here. Uh, it's his stance. It's where his eyes are. It's where his hands are. It's where his feet are set up. It's how close he is to the opposing player. It's how he reads. There's just no substitute for it. And he's got it. And a lot of other players don't, unfortunately. The question is, can you pick that up? I mean, can he rub off at all? on anybody or should he like be huddling up with Nasir Little for instance or even Shaden Sharp and going okay here here's how this is done I want to see him get more action with the starters uh, personally and I, I'll tell you what gets me excited about it the Blazers love to run like Jeremy Grant on a guard okay now you can put Gary Payne on that same guard and you can get some size up in the front like you can get Jeremy Grant guarding the best perimeter player as opposed to a guard so just the different versatility that's going to bring you I think is, is really exciting thing about and looking at the uh, the numbers now for, for Gary Payton, he's shooting 71% from the field this season on 14 shots, so not a big sample size, but four of six from three. I think there's a, a lot to like about his box score at, at this time. And he's going to play six games, so it's only going to get better as he gets his rhythm going. And like, like I said, just the versatility that he's going to allow this Blazers team to have defensively. I think that not all is lost. You know, it's not great right now, but I think they can definitely get better with guys coming back in and, and working their way back into their rotation. Yep, absolutely. Well, we talked about Philly and Denver a little bit. How about the Dallas wins? Did you notice anything from them? I mean, uh, it looked for a minute like the Blazers had turned the proverbial corner. Uh, as it turned out, I think they beat Luca once, and then he didn't play the second game. Uh, so in retrospect, it may not be so huge, but that sure felt good over the weekend. Man, every win counts. It was, it was nice to see that happen over the weekend. Uh, they had two of their three best games in terms of offensive rating against Dallas, and I think that the biggest thing was that it was just nice to see the, the Motor Center rocking. You know, there were times during that, that game in Philadelphia and Orlando where it was as quiet as a Sunday church prayer. You know what I'm saying? You could have heard a pin drop. So to see them get, get going in Dallas, I think was huge. Um, and looking at the box score, the, the plus 22 in the rebound column, I think was the biggest thing. You really never received that. So it was awesome to see them get that that sort of advantage on the glass. And part of that was that they weren't missing, but you, know, you, you want to see as many of those as you possibly can. Yeah, I mean, to me, that first game was a classic coin flip, and I don't mean in terms of score, because the Blazers actually hammered them. But it was one of those games where Portland shot, you know, above 50%, 
and above 40% from the three-point arc and allowed the opponent to do the same, which they do a disturbing amount. And those games, to me, are kind of like, okay, we're just going to throw it out there. It's going to be a wild card. We're going to see what happens, right? Well, the Mavericks found out that if the Blazers are hot and it's a, you know, it is a coin flip. It is a wild card. Uh, and the wild card turned up 136 points for them and Dallas couldn't match, right? And the next night it was 140. So, I mean, the lesson pulled from this is, first of all, the Blazers are a really capable offensive team when they get rolling. Second of all, as long as they can score 138 per game, they're probably going to win. But I don't know that that really taught us anything that's bankable because obviously you can't score 138 every night. Um, I liked I liked the second game somewhat better than the first, I think, because I just thought there was a little, I mean, it, let's put it this way. It was easier to defend the Mavericks without Luka, obviously. Uh, and I think the Blazers played smarter defense and they were able to target down on the players they needed to. Um, the first game was just crazy, uh, but fun. And, uh, you know, at, at that point you, you needed the win. So you go, yay. Any carryover that you see? I mean, is there anything to pull from them, those games, other than, wow, that was fun for a minute, and now we're back in the doldrums? Um, it's kind of hard to say because right after that, you see what they did against Philly, so. Yeah. <laughs> um, and Denver. I, I mean, think yeah. Yeah. It's, it's tough. I, I, I'm interested to see it because Dallas, I think, hit 23 three pointers in one of those games, and it's like, how do you win in that situation? But uh, I, I think the biggest thing that it reinforces is just that this Blazers offense is a lot better when they when they get out when they get out of run. You know, it's it's a lot easier to get those shots when you're not playing against set defenses, and, and you saw it throughout that Mavericks game. It's a lot of pace, uh, unselfishness, and whatnot. So you, you definitely want to see that carry over. But like I said, based on what we've seen a few nights later, it didn't carry over too well. So it's it's hard to say what the what's consistent about this team right now. Yeah, I mean, and obviously the point totals were inflated, but you got 30-plus points off your bench each night. It would be nicer to have that in a 110-point game than a 140-point game. But you also got the starters playing fewer minutes and shooting basically higher percentages. And I, I don't think those are completely un... I mean, obviously, the, 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 the starters sat because the team was ahead. I get it. But you didn't get those garbage minutes where all the shots were missing and whatever, and everybody's tired, and you don't, and you're not ramped up adrenaline-wise to try to go win the game, which actually happens to the Blazers a lot. You get more minutes, but not necessarily more efficiency. So uh, the bench has got to step up somewhere. They did more in this game with more minutes, less pressure. How do you? I mean, I I want that to translate into a game that that matters for the bench that yeah. you've got to believe that these, these got Shaden Sharp coming off and scoring 12 or 15 or Gary Payton scoring 10 or, you know, Nasir little scoring 10. Those are important things that will really help ease the pressure on the starters and allow them the rest that they need. I'm right with you. You definitely want to see it against a quality opponent and a game that really matters. I think that, for me personally, I think that you just want to see one of these guys get hot. One of these guys gets hot on any given night, whether it's Sharp, Keon Johnson, Gary Payton second. As long as one of them gets you 10, I think you give yourself a fighting chance. Because Portland has one of the, the, the worst second units scoring-wise in the NBA. You make up a big part of that, you just get one of those guys going. Like Philadelphia yesterday, they had Tyrese Maxey. He had 13 points in 10 minutes. And for reference, the Blazers had 18 points as a, as a unit. So as long as you get one of those guys going, and maybe that means, you know, it's, it's, I think Sharp is definitely the guy that you think it's going to be. Uh, but I think that's the key is just hoping that one of those guys gets going. So you don't have to rely on the starters playing hero ball and whatnot and playing from behind. Yeah. I mean, gosh, it's hard. It's hard to ding them because <laughs> they've been injured, right? And we talked about this incessantly. And by the way, you're starting to see it. It is better with the Sear Little back. It is better when Gary Payton can play. It will be better when Justice Winslow is there. At the same time, I mean, Sharp, he's too young. I get it. You know, this is his rookie year. He's going to go up and down. He's supposed to. The Blazers could sure use that 15 points a night. That would that would make them really good, right? The Blazers could sure use that defense. The Blazers could sure use somebody besides Drew Eubanks coming off the bench. And again, again, I will say it, love Drew Eubanks. Advocate, keep him on this team for years and years and years. But you need somebody else. It's, it's like... Uh, 
It's like the salad guy at Olive Garden. Yeah, it's unlimited salads. You don't want it to go away, but you need breadsticks too, right? And we don't have the breadstick guy coming off the bench at the big positions. Do you do you have those breadsticks? <laughs> yeah, you got to have them, right? Do you see any players that you think the Blazers could acquire that could help this year without completely making over the roster? I have to really look into that. Um, I'm not sure. I'm pretty sure that there are some, definitely some second unit guys, but I think you definitely want a guy that has a little bit of a defensive edge too. Uh, but I don't know. The, the first name that crossed my mind is, is probably not something you're going to like because we've had him before on the bench. So you know what I'm thinking of? Uh-uh. Carmelo Anthony. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> I don't, don't want to go there. I don't want to go there. Go for it. Go, there. go for but, it. But the... The Blazers have had five games out of 45 this year in which they've outscored the opponent's bench. They're two and three in those games in which they do. Five games out of 45. I think that you got to go get somebody that commands a little bit of respect. And I'm not saying it's got to be Carmelo, but that was just the first name that kind of... Kind of I'm, I'm, I'm going to get destroyed for that. Oh, Marlo. <laughs> only you. You're the only person in the universe who's trying to solve the Blazers' problems with oh, Carmelo Anthony right now. Oh, my gosh. More offense off the Any bench. Problem. That would do it. I mean, more ISO ball. I mean, oh, wow. <laughs> that is that is audacity. I like it. Okay. That is going to get like 42 comments right there. That's oh, beautiful. Yeah. You know, I was thinking more big guys <laughs> myself. Uh, let me throw out some names. Uh, so he's older. I don't know if he has anything left, but Milwaukee's looking to dump Serge Ibaka now, and he's on he's on a minimum contract. He could probably be had for a second-round pick, maybe a future second-round pick, and a, a salary trade of someone on a minimum contract. Would you go so far as to say anybody of size is going to be a health and, or help, help rather, and take Serge on the team? I mean, he is 35, but I think, I think it takes the championship pedigree. Um, and he, he's played well in spurts with Milwaukee, so I think you can definitely do worse than Serge Ibaka. I'm trying to – I'm wrecking my – I like the guy, uh, Montrez Harrell from Philadelphia. I don't know if you can ask the trade for him, but I think he's a guy that can bring some energy. Montrez is so uh... – offense heavy or at least surge plays yeah. some defense and by the way yeah. uh, for the record he's only 33 so you've got a couple years uh and oh, wow. also there's no contract uh beyond this year so there's no real penalty to getting him maybe a future second rounder for surge and fill that roster spot uh or roster hole in the middle might help i mean I, I keep looking at Orlando and trying to figure out if there's some way that you can get Mo Bamba or if there's some way you can get Bull Bull or something like that. And I think Bull Bull was last year's. He's going to be, he's going to cost you something now because he's playing pretty well. But, you know, shot blockers, guys who can rebound, guys who can move around the floor a little bit. I mean, I don't, I'm not sure about Bamba anymore, but Bull can. I, I you know, I, I wouldn't sneeze at a trade like that, and I think in some ways that could also be a move for the future. I'm just not sure how you get them. How do you like, um, I'm looking at some names now, how do you like Jay Crowder from Phoenix? I think he brings a lot of energy. He's a guy that can insert mm -hmm. Yeah, I thought about that early, and Phoenix would probably go for it. Here's the problem for the Blazers. This is one of the names that we talk about. Guys who make $10 million are a problem for, for Portland. Because the only way that you can get him is trade Josh Hart, which you may do because, as we talked about, his contract is probably coming up, et cetera, et cetera. There are a hundred reasons. But, uh, well, and also, I should say this. Here's a podcast gem that will not come out in writing for a little bit, but it's there. If you just lose Hart, you also lose that salary slot because the Blazers are over the cap. It's not like they save $13 million with Josh Hart and can spend that on someone else in free agency. They're still over the cap. That salary slot's just going to disappear, and they can only replace it with a minimum slot. So you use, lose about $10 million in cap equity to trade with, right? So it's another reason that you're kind of up against a, a wall with Hart, and you've got to either commit to signing him long-term, or you've got to trade him. But... Would trading Hart for Jay Crowder really make sense? I mean, you lost your starting small forward now. Crowder is a good player and can probably help, but you're you're planning on going forward with this trade. I'm not sure that gets you forward. And if you don't trade Hart, now to make $10 million, 
I mean, you're you're putting in three players. Uh, you have to put in Nasir Little. You have to put in Justice Winslow just to get north of eight, and then you have to put in another minimum contract player. That's not going to work. You're certainly not getting better. You're trading away all your young talent for Jay Crowder. So the Blazers have a contract bind here. But would I take him if it could be done without those? Probably. Stuff right there. <laughs> yeah, I mean. I don't, it, 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 it's tough out there, I will tell you. And it's tough. It's weird because big men aren't necessarily valued highly, right? But they're still pretty rare. The rarity hasn't changed. There's not all of a sudden a thousand, you know, 6'10", 6'11", 6'12", 7-foot players who can play. It's still hard to find a guy who's really going to move the needle for you at that height, at that position, even though the league has gone away from it. I don't know. I'm, I'm looking at some different players now. They've got uh, Niles Reed from uh, Minnesota. I guess he could be an option. Mason Plumlee maybe making a, a second return, but he's on an inspiring deal too, worth nine million. So I don't know. Blazers kind of they kind of got their, their hands tied with this one. Yeah, I mean, gosh, here's another problem: the old guys that you want are making money and run into that contract issue. The young guys are hard to get. I mean, you got uh, Gafford in in Washington. I haven't seen him play too much, but I think I like him. Uh, I I think he moves pretty good. Uh, And he is a shot blocker for sure. Uh, He's not a huge rebounder, but the Blazers could give up a little bit of that, especially if you keep Nurkic. And Washington's not going anywhere. But if you're not going anywhere, you kind of want to keep your young players, right? And so they just, you know, extended slash resigned him. He's 24 years old. You know, I, I think that would be a fun get, but I'm not sure that Washington gives him up for what the Blazers could could offer. That's a good one, too. He plays with a lot of energy. Every time I see the Wizards play, he's out there hustling and making things happen. So he'd be, a, he'd be an ideal fit for them, too. But I, I agree with what you say here, though, because, you know, I'm saying they're not a team that's aspiring for a championship, but they've got some young talent there, too, so. Well, and, and, you know, do you trade a first-round pick for him? Eh. And could you, because you owe that one to Chicago, that dominoes throughout the years, so you'll have to, like, do some jimming, uh, which includes either conditions that could lose you picks in future years, uh, or, um, you know, you take off the pick protection on that Chicago pick, but then if you don't make the playoffs, as we've talked about, you've just made a, an error of errors because you've given up uh, a lottery pick now to Chicago and God forbid that pick should end up being number one. I congratulations. You lost <laughs> Wemby for Gafford. Uh, that's, that's your third. I mean, that's an Odin Durant kind of issue. So I don't think the Blazers can do that. So the, the tying up of first round picks is also something that's, you know, yeah. Uh, kind of plaguing the Blazers' trade prospects right now. Now, they're going to duck some of this later, okay? It, this is not an eternal problem. But you're starting to see, like, the, the holes you have to fit through in order to make a trade work right now. And there's a lot of complexity to it. How do you feel about the whole thing with uh, the Blazers saying that Anthony Simons is untouchable? Like, do you, do you take any, any, any opinion on that? I was going to ask you the same thing, but I mean, I have a mailbag question coming up on this that'll actually publish in between. It's a follow-up, and it's like someone asks, you know, hey, uh, if Anthony Simons is untouchable, basically, why wasn't C.J. McCollum? Because they're very similar, and the Blazers aren't going anywhere with this kind of lineup anyway. So why would they hold Ant above trade? And I would go, okay, they're really not. I think what they mean is he is untouchable for anything that they can currently get with him. I believe that if the Raptors were willing to talk Pascal Siakam for a package that centered around Anthony Simons and another starter, the Blazers would find Anthony Simons more touchable. But that's not happening. You know, that's our dream trade, right? I don't know about you, but it's mine. Right. Uh, I just think that Simons can't bring enough back for them to consider touching him right now. And they're not going to dump him 
for something less because he's 23. He's insurance against Damian Lillard either not working out or leaving. He has got a skill set that is not exactly unique, but it's good. It's serviceable, and it's not going to go away. Scoring's never going to go out of style. I just think there's too much potential, and there's not enough return at this moment for them to consider trading Simons. How about you? I, me personally, I don't think that I, I'm subscribed to the idea of, of saying anybody's untouchable. You know, so I think that's such a big word to use. Um, and you you risk complacency with that when you when you tell somebody they're untouchable like that. So, um, for me, I think that you definitely you definitely want to shop your options because he's a guy that's like I said, he's young. He's a guy that was playing at an all star level at certain points this year. So, you can definitely see what you can get for him. I thought about you when when the Blazers played the Raptors when uh when Lillard and Siakam had that, that little that scrum. I'm like, oh, here we go. The, the trade just got messed up just like that. Uh, but I, like I said, I'm with you. If they if they call asking about Siakam, I think I'd definitely take a chance on that. But I don't know. It's it's, it's tough to say. It's a lot of speculation in there. Yeah, I mean, gosh. It would probably take, first of all, you'd have to give Chicago the pick, right? Because you're going to throw first-rounders in here. So you give up that pick. But then it's it, like a package that you could offer. Simons, Nurkic, Little. I mean, I'd like to drop Winslow in there instead of Little, but it's an expiring contract. I'm not sure they'd go for it. But maybe they would. If they do that, I'd sure do it. But let's say Simons, Nurkic, Little two future first round picks and the right to pick swap at least once. That's probably what you're looking at for Siakam. So you're really, you're screwing your future drafts, but you're picking up Pascal. Eh, I mean, I'd still think about it. I think, I mean, just because you've committed to keeping Dame, I mean, does that sound like something that you do? I don't think you ever really commit to anything like concrete like that. You always want to kind of shop your options and get on the phone and whatnot, especially for a team that's, 21 and 24, like nothing should be set in stone for a team that's below average like that. So uh, I thought it was a little risky to say that. I think Chris Haynes is the one that, that reported it, but it's just, I don't know. For a team that's below average, I don't think you ever want to say anybody's untouchable or anything like that. So that's how I feel about it. Yeah. All right. Well, oh boy. I, you know, I'm, I'm trying to scoop other names up out of the, you know, NBA dustbin. And it doesn't seem also to you that this trade season is a little bit muted. Like there's not quite as many names floating around right now, perhaps because there are so many teams that are in a position to do okay. Like there are very few teams that absolutely are out of it and looking to dump salary. I'm looking at a trade deadline big board and they're saying that like Miles Turner and, and John Collins are the top two guys. So. Not a lot of star players there, but yeah, the Western Conference is so wide open that you you, you don't want to put all your chips in it. However, the saying goes, we'll just put all the chips in the, on the table or whatever. So, um, I, I, definitely the, the opportunity to get role players, but star players, you know, you kind of worry about that. None of those are right. And at this point, I don't think anybody thinks John Collins is going to cure the Blazers. That was like two years ago, right? And then yeah. you would shift the <laughs> yeah. lineup around him. But adding John Collins to this mix probably won't do it. Miles Turner would be great, but I don't think the Blazers have the juice to get him. They'd have to overpay, and it would weaken the team about the same amount that Turner helped the team. So I don't, I don't see. I mean, would I take him? And could should they get him if they can get a nice deal for him? They should, but I don't see that happening. So, yeah, my assessment is it's going to be a, either a super incremental move like that just makes you go, meh, or it has to be a huge move that nobody's expecting that really rips out half the roster and exchanges it for something where you go, this is what we're pinning our hopes on. I don't see a lot of in-between happening in the next three weeks, so it's probably going to be a quiet deadline. Yeah, I, I I just wonder how much Damian Lillard has as a factor in this too, because you got to take into account him and his competitiveness, him believing that the Blazers are win now mode. So I'm pretty sure they're going to run everything by him. Um, so I think that's going to play a role into it too, personally. But I don't think you want to be trading mediocrity for mediocrity. So it's it's, it's hard to say what they're going to do at this point. If the Blazers, uh, you, we've talked we talked about this a couple weeks ago, but if the Blazers are still a couple games below 500 after the All Star break let's say like a week after I'm really tempted to start reigning Lillard in at this point, because it, that provided they didn't make a trade too. it's this roster, right? And they're still up and down. I think I whisper in Dame's ear, look, no matter what, 
is going to happen, you're not getting past the second round. It's just not happening this year. So I, I you know, I don't think I'd sit him entirely, but I think I'd start pulling him from back to backs, start limiting his minutes, start playing Shaden Sharp more, getting Anthony Simons in that point guard role, and just saying, you know, Dame, come back full force for the playoffs. We'll make a good run at it, but we're going to save wear and tear on you this year, and we're going to make our moves over the summer. I, I, it's the Blazers are showing who they are, and it's not bad but it's not good enough to justify running Lillard full octane through the rest of the season. Yeah, you definitely don't want to see that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Oh, well, we've had that talk. It's like the talk. It's like the birds and the bees every year. Right? <laughs> All right. <laughs> so in brighter news, I mean, they did win two last week. Maybe they can win some more coming up and the schedule gets somewhat nicer. Not entirely, but a little bit. First of all, you get some home games. But you got Los Angeles on Sunday. You got San Antonio on Monday in the back-to-back. You got Utah on Wednesday, and Utah is not playing as well as they used to, although Laurie Markkinen is going out of his mind. Lakers, Spurs, Jazz, all at home. What do you predict? Looking at the schedule, you know, you want to say 3-0, and but I think that you got to give the obligatory um they're going to lose one of those games. So I'll say two and one. I don't, I think they're going to beat Utah, but I think they're going to lose one of those two. I think maybe they maybe lose to the Lakers. Yeah. I'll say two and one. All right. Yeah, I mean, that's that's not bad. I'll go three and oh, because I don't like to say the same thing as you. Like, God forbid it's one and two. If it's one and two, there's going to be you know, oh, doom and gloom. <laughs> the funeral march is going to start playing uh, around Blazer Nation. Uh, after that, they have Toronto and Atlanta at home, neither of which are gimmies, but you hope with home games that that'll be good. And it should be fun to see uh, Trey Young and Damian Lillard go at it. Uh, but then you go on the road against Memphis, which is nasty. Uh, you got Washington and you got Chicago. Both of those should be winnable, but you got a big triangle of travel right there from Memphis to Washington to Chicago and then back home. Uh, that's uh, that's not a gimme road trip right there. So it's like, let's say they're two and one in the next three. Let's say they're either two and oh or one and one Toronto, Atlanta. And then you got two and one on the road. That still gets them four, five, six wins in their next eight games top. So they go six and two. That would make them look better. They could go five and three. Um, so we got 27 and 25 or 26 and sorry uh, yeah 26 and 27 something like that anyway they're still not out of the woods even if this goes well is my point I agree with that yeah I think they they're still hanging in there the western conference is so tight right now I think they're playing for like 13 spot uh just the Lakers coming up tomorrow so all right Sunday so that would be interesting Yep. Uh, it's tough, but one one big losing streak I think is over. But you can get hot, get hot over the next couple of weeks. You can see yourself in that play in range, and it's just a shame we can't play against Maccabi again. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's it's mind boggling that you go. This is the stretch where they're going to do well, and I think it is. But again, even doing the best possible is still going to leave them right around five hundred. That's that's the problem that they start to face now. And by the way, after that, it starts getting a little bit hairy again because you got the Bucks and you got the Warriors and you got the Thunder and the Lakers. And you got the Kings coming in after that, and that's not a gimme. You got Washington and Houston in there, but Golden State, New Orleans, at Atlanta, at Boston, at Philadelphia, at New Orleans, at Bo- or versus Boston again. Now I'm skipping over some games, but not too many. I only skipped over like four games in there, and I just named a lot of teams that are capable of wrapping the Blazers up and sending them home to Mama. So <laughs> the, the Blazers need to hit the accelerator right now and hope that the momentum carries over. Yeah, Damian Lewis said that he, he gave the old John Cena. He said, time is now. You got to get going. I think the one consolation is that seating probably won't matter as much since, since there's not a dominant you know, group outside of Denver and Memphis. Like if they were the sixth seed, they play Sacramento in the first round, and then right now Sacramento is the third seed. They're tw- they got twenty five wins. Portland has twenty one, so they're right there. But you don't want to see that window close, so you just you, you got to get it going quickly. And this is the perfect time to do it. Right. Well, I mean, we talk about seeding, but 
honestly, even if they go six and two and are one game above 500, that only would put them right now sixth in the West based on today's records. And they would only be a couple games out of 11th. I mean, yeah. th- what if there is no seeding? That's the problem. And and by the way, the Blazers in the playoff your play-in tournament is not a happy sight either because they are pretty thin. And let's assume things go as they have been. It's not like they're going to be well-rested going into that play-in. And the more games you have to play in the postseason, the worse that's going to get. It's something's got to change right now or it doesn't feel like it's going to change. I agree with that wholeheartedly, 100%. Uh, I think the best case scenario is you, you get into that top six. Like They're only one and a half games away from Utah for that, that uh, number six spot. I think if you can avoid that, you can buy your your, your guys a lot of, lot of energy, uh, save them from playing a game that they probably don't need to play in. So mm-hmm. I think we, we basically we basically said it. You know, you, you got to go out there and get wins and win the winnable ones. And I think that's what's made it so tough with the – the close games as of late, because those are the games that they make all the difference. You got to go get those and, and like, just hope to see them get it, get it going this week. This is a big week for them. Yeah. And by the way, I still think I agree with you that they got that end of the season streak in them. They almost always do. But the question is not whether it's possible, it's whether it matters. And if they do not start winning in the next two weeks, it almost doesn't matter what they do at the end of the season. They're going to end up in the middle in a really tough slog perhaps in the play-in at best. So at that point, you almost wish that they don't have the end of the season run so they can get back in the lottery. <laughs> you know, that's that's where we are. So Blazer fans, these next two weeks are going to be critical. Look at the next eight games. We are calling this now that it's got to be a sterling record and then have momentum after. Otherwise, we're going to be having a much different discussion in two weeks. In between, we'll have a halfway mark. We'll see you then with the Dave and Marlowe podcast. Until then, let's hope for some wins and go Blazers. Blazers.